Work it just a little bit. We're actually transmuting back to self-love and self-worth by then being able to drop in and say, I love myself enough to witness the piece of me that believes that what that person said to me is true and integrate that shadow back to wholeness and back to authenticity and back to truth. Welcome to the Reclaiming Purpose podcast with me, your girl, your hostess with the mostess, and the founder of You Are Into It, Dana Lisa. Join me weekly here for wisdom drops on all things intuition. My methodology is the D3 method, and it teaches you how to discover your own joy GPS and reclaim your intuition, then decondition old people-pleasing or analysis paralysis so that you can transform on a belief level in your unconscious mind. And lastly, how to take deliberate aligned action and find liberation and fulfillment in all aspects of your life, including relationships, love, money, and career. My process uses a blend of human design, neuro-linguistic programming, and my own intuitive gifts to help you in reclaiming purpose in your life. Hello, hello, happy humans. How are you? I hope you're having an amazing week so far. I had an epic dream last night that was the inspiration for today's podcast episode. And I've been doing dream work for a while. I went through this phase where I really wanted to learn how to lucid dream. And if you don't know what lucid dreaming is, you can actually fall asleep while then waking up your conscious mind during your REM sleep cycle so that you're consciously aware that you are dreaming within your dream, which sounds so like inception, I know. (laughs) And then you can actually take control of your dream and do whatever it is that you want. So there's some very cool stories out there on the internet of people who learned how to lucid dream, did things like danced in fire and flew and all of these had all of these incredible experiences while in this lucid dream state. And I've also heard some stories that had more depth to them, like where someone had someone that passed away in their family and then they used lucid dreaming to actually heal by reconnecting with that person and having conversations with them during their lucid dream state and integrating wisdom from the person who passed away. And it was really healing and nourishing and brought someone back from the edge of suicide or depression. And so this is a tool as well. It's a healing tool that actually, in my opinion, although there's not a lot of research on this yet, and this is not backed by scientific evidence, but based on reading these stories, it seems like lucid dreaming is a way that we can get the unconscious, which is fully active and functional during our REM sleep cycle to speak to our conscious mind. And it it's potentially a really powerful integration tool that can help our conscious mind understand some of the things that are taking place in our unconscious that we might be completely unaware of, or we might have kind of an inclination is taking place in our unconscious mind, but we're wanting to raise our conscious awareness or get our conscious and our unconscious working together in order for us to integrate and move forward. 
So I went through a period of time where I was really into lucid dreaming and I was using a lot of the techniques that are available to start the the process of learning how to lucid dream because it is something that you can actually practice and learn how to do and get better at. And I'm not going to go like fully into, um, because I'm not an expert on this particular topic, I'm not going to go fully into all of the things that you can do, but some of them were really interesting because essentially they're cues, they're cues for your conscious mind so that your conscious mind wakes up during sleep. And what those cues look like are things like looking at clocks or numbers or pushing your finger into the middle of your palm or um, doing things like reading. And the reason that these are cues is because our unconscious mind isn't adept at these things. And so there will be basically a malfunction, something that wouldn't happen in the real world, such as the numbers on the clock changing or having trouble focusing on words and reading and the words on the page blurring, or when you push your finger into your palm, it going through your palm. These are all cues of, oh, I'm dreaming that can get your conscious mind to then wake up and recognize that it's a dream. And the way that you get yourself to repeat these particular behaviors in your sleep is by integrating them during your waking life. So making them a habit or a routine that you do during your waking life so that you carry them over into your dream. And I got successful at this. I I had a few times where I was able to actually lucid dream. And I used to practice this by taking naps during the day because naps are actually a time where you don't fall into as deep of a sleep. And it's easier for you that to then wake up and remember your dream. And when you remember your dreams, then you're capable of actually, um, during your waking life, taking those lessons and being aware of them. Whereas even if you're successful at lucid dreaming while you're sleeping, it's a whole other thing to remember your dreams. And so I actually had to practice remembering dreams. And one of the easiest ways that I found to do this, if you're looking looking to start to implement dream work in your life is whenever I would wake up and I would remember a dream, I would write it down right away. Even if I woke up in the middle of the night and it was like 2 a.m. or something, I would write it down. And oftentimes we don't want to do this because we're comfortable and we're cozy in bed and (laughs) it's easier to just roll over and fall back asleep because you're still kind of groggy and not fully out of your, out of your sleep state. But in order to train our brain to actually wake up during REM sleep cycle and actually take what it remembers and store it as short-term or long-term memory, we have to practice it. And the way that we do that is, or one of the ways that we can do that is by waking up and writing down our dreams. And so this morning I had had a very vivid dream and I, I sometimes don't even notice that I have had a vivid dream right away. So sometimes what will happen is I'll be like going to the bathroom. I like I'll wake up and I'll kind of like, you know, blurry eyed go into the bathroom. And as I'm sitting there, I'll kind of almost have this sensation of like forgetting something or trying, 
to remember, you know, that kind of like tip of the tongue, but it's in your mind feeling where it's like something just happened or you're trying to remember something someone said or something you were supposed to do. That's the sensation that will come over me. And that's how I know I had a dream and my brain is still trying to focus on remembering what that dream was. So I had that sensation this morning and I started to write. I wrote down everything that I remembered from this particular dream. And it was interesting. I I remember there was a counselor or a therapist and she actually, she was or was very, very similar to a therapist that I had when I was living in the Cayman Islands. And I remember I was paying a bill. <laughs> she like had a bill for all of the sessions that I had done recently up until that point. And I had a number in my mind of what I thought the amount was going to be. And it was like in the range of like a couple thousand dollars. And when she gave me the bill, she was like, oh no, no, no. Like it's this much per session, this much per hour. Like you're currently sitting at like 9,900 and something dollars. And I remember in my dream knowing like, oh, I don't have the, I don't have that to like pay that. But I also had this sensation watch over me of like, but that's okay. Like, you're okay. You've got this. And I remember telling her something along the lines of like, oh, okay. Like, thank you. Um, I wasn't prepared to like fully pay this today, um, but I'll pay it by X deadline. And I had given her a deadline in the dream. And I was very calm. And I remember feeling like very certain that by that day, I would have that money to like fully pay her this bill. And I remember immediately leaving this session and picking up my phone and wanting to type out this text, this text begging for forgiveness from my ex. It was like in my dream, I was still fresh out of relationship with this person who I was with for a very long time, basically my whole adult life. And I had been rejected. I remember the feeling of rejection. And like, I remember in my dream, it was like there was all these specific people in my mind that had been really close to me and were people that were really um, close relationships. But the, the common thread between them was that I had met them through my partner. And when I had broken up with my partner and they had found out that I was like this bad person who had done these things. And he had started saying like in my dream, he had started telling them like, she did this to me. She was this. And all of these people basically rejected me and I was put into exile. I was now alone and there was no one really around me to support me except this counselor or therapist that I was seeing. And my counselor or therapist was like charging me X amount of dollars and like while she obviously cared about my well-being, it wasn't from a personal perspective. It was from a professional perspective. And I remember this deep sensation of like rejection, loneliness, exile, feeling uncared for in the dream. And I felt like the only solution was to make up with my ex. So I remember this feeling that I haven't had in so long was really prevalent in my dream. And this sensation is 
the sensation that I used to get all the time, which was anxiety living in the future of like, what do I need to do in this moment to quote unquote fix the future so that it works out in my favor? What do I need to do right now? So that anxiety of like living in the future, which kind of feels like a fluttering in my chest and like a shortness of breath and like a panic. It feels like panic, the sensation of like a drop in the stomach. And I had that feeling in my dream. And I remember knowing in that moment that I was going to need to sacrifice myself in some way. I was going to need to say things that I didn't actually mean and kind of depreciate my own worth and value in order to grovel and please this person, in this instance, my ex, in my dream, it was my ex, in order to get acceptance and love from the people who I wanted acceptance and love with in order to cure this sensation of loneliness. And I woke up in that moment. That was when I woke up, was kind of when I had that feeling. And I started to explore this. I was like writing out my dream and I was like, whoa. And I started to explore, well, like, why did that create such a sensation of like panic and fear? And I felt it when I, when I was awake. I'm now awake remembering the dream. I felt this sensation come in and it was so familiar. And so like, even now I can feel it and it starts to like bring tears to my eyes. Like I can feel my eyes pricking. I can feel the sensation in my chest. And this sensation is so familiar. And I had this recognition, this revelation that this is one of my greatest fears still. This is a place, the gift that this dream gave me and doing this dream work gave me is this revelation that this is still something I have to heal. This is still a very, very fresh fear for me and something that controls my life in some ways because I absolutely am, am still going to make decisions from a place of avoidance of this feeling if this sensation is a driver of such a primal fear and survival instinct for me. And until I fully heal and integrate this, it's even if it's on an unconscious level, still going to be a driver of decisions that keeps me away from my authenticity, which is one of my greatest fears. One of my greatest fears is that I will not fulfill my fullest expression in this world. And even if I do fulfill that fullest expression, I will be rejected or go unrecognized for being good or great. And that will validate the sensation of not feeling worthy of love, not being lovable as I am. And I recognize that. And that's something that I've been healing and working through over the last several years since I realized that it was a habit that I had. And here is the thing that I was kind of exploring this morning. And that was really the meat of what I wanted to share with you. Because a lot of people talk about like, screw the haters, you know, like love the trolls or like forget about the trolls or like the haters pay your bills. Or there's a lot of conversation that we have around like, if people don't like you, what mindset should you have? If you're rejected by people, what mindset should you have in order to continue to show up and continue to express yourself? And that's such an important conversation to have because 
There's a lot of people who don't even express themselves at all because they have this fear of what people might say. They're so concerned with what could potentially happen if they do express themselves that they never even take the step into self-expression. And here's the thing. When we have someone who doesn't agree with us or rejects us, there's a few choices available to us in in these moments. And the first choice is what a lot of the world lives by. And that is if someone calls us a name or tells us that our opinion is wrong or tries to create a conversation that defames our character in some way, we oftentimes become equally as obsessed with them and their character and the need to defend ourselves, oftentimes by proving that they're wrong because they're equally or even more bad than we are in some way. And we become obsessed. And this is the continuation of energy projection cycles. So one of the things that I talk about the most and I teach is most people are living in a really shrunken container of self. They have a lot of rules for how they show up in the world. They're mostly living in the future full of anxiety or in the past filled with depression because they experience a lot of regret. And they are, they are living their life at effect to everything that's happening to them in their external environment. So I often use the simple example of like the person who wakes up in the morning and they they realize that their alarm didn't go off. And so they're already upset because now they're going to be late for work and they're worried about what their boss is going to say. And then when they're on their way out the door, their partner starts yelling at them for not taking out the garbage. And then when they get to work, they're in trouble for being late and their boss is breathing down their neck because they have this deadline. And then they go to the coffee shop and the barista didn't put their lid on their cup properly and they spill coffee all over their white shirt. And then at the end of the day, they're on their way home and they haven't dealt with any of this throughout the day. They've just been putting it away because they have work to do or because it's inappropriate to express emotion or because they feel like they just need to compartmentalize it so they can quote unquote deal with it later because they have quote unquote more important things to do in that moment. And so they're repressing those emotions and how they feel repressing, 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 repressing. And then something happens, something so simple, such as they get the wrong change back at the grocery store. And there's just all of this built up energy that they've been repressing throughout the day that in that moment, they don't have the energetic capacity to hold anymore and they explode and they unleash anger, frustration, bitterness, resentment on the person who's closest to them, who seems in that moment to be the source of the pain, such as the cashier at the grocery store. Now, was it actually them getting their wrong change back that created this tirade in the grocery store where they maybe yell and storm out and cause this scene? No, it has nothing to do with that. That was just the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back. And so what happens? Well, the cashier then takes that energy on and they just 
had a day that was maybe going well or wasn't going so well, but was going average. And now it's super shitty and they're having a terrible day because this crazy customer just lost it on them because they gave the wrong change back. And then they take that home to their partner and then they get mad at their partner for, you know, leaving the remote in the couch cushions, even though that's not the thing that actually caused all the stress. And you've done this yourself. You've felt this yourself. You've witnessed this yourself. This is the continuation of energy energy projection cycles that happens when we don't have the energetic capacity to number one, hold space for our own human, our own emotions, let alone anyone else's human and their emotions. And we don't understand how to transmute energy and remove our ego and be the gentle observer of what's happening. We take everything personally and we self-identify with every single experience that it is that we have. And so we perpetuate these cycles and we see this in the online space, right? It's even easier in the online space for people to explode because they're even more dissociated from the repercussions of those actions. So online is one place where people love to take all of that resentment, anger, frustration, envy, jealousy, bitterness, and put it onto other people for this temporary reprieve, right? So the reason why humans do this is because it temporary, temporarily alleviates that pressure. When we've been repressing all of this emotion and we're feeling a certain type of way, and we then project that onto someone else and make them the source of our pain, it takes that pain outside of us. It externalizes it. It puts it and blames it on something outside of ourselves. And that instantly relieves the pressure that we're feeling inside and validates us that like, well, it's not me. I'm not the problem. It's this thing or this person outside of me. And therefore, we feel more worthy in that moment. We feel more worthy of love and we live in this delusion that there's nothing wrong with us and the world is what's terrible and we're just the victim of all of these external circumstances. And so we see these cycles perpetuate. We've potentially, I mean, it's pretty inevitable that at some point we've contributed. And so when we have like an online hater What a lot of people choose to do is they choose to engage in defensiveness. They oftentimes will, you know, stoop to that person's level. That's a a terminology that we hear a lot. You know, take the high road, don't stoop to their level. And all we're doing when we stoop, because it's not really a less, they're not less than us. The person's not less than us. They're just less aware and capable of taking on the the energy themselves and transmuting it. And then when they project it onto us, if we haven't done our own inner work to be expanded enough to understand how to transmute that energy for them, as well as for ourselves and dissociate our identity from someone else's comments, then we join in and we join in the energy projection cycle circus and we continue to perpetuate these sensations onto other people and on and on and on it goes. So that's the first choice. (laughs) We can choose, maybe we contribute and we continue to play in this terrible cyclical game that's never ending of these vicious energy projection cycles. The second choice is that we learn how to transmute energy back to love and how to take a gentle observer role on our experiences. 
we learn that the truth is if someone says something that triggers us in some way, the event of the trigger is something that happened inside of us and it has nothing to do with the individual themselves. It's like if you're a really fit, healthy person and you know that you're a fit and healthy person and you believe that you're a fit and healthy person and then somebody calls you fat, well, you're not going to really feel any certain type of way. You're going to be like, I know I'm not fat, like this person, whatever. And we're going to recognize that the reason they called us fat has something entirely to do with them and nothing to do with us. Whereas if we are maybe struggling with recovering from an eating disorder and we are really thin, but we believe that we're overweight and we believe that we're really big because we have body dysmorphia and then somebody calls us fat, the event that's going to happen inside of us is going to trigger a spiral reaction because we're in our unconscious mind, we believe that we actually are the thing that someone is calling us. And so the trigger may have been them saying you're fat, but the actual event of the downward spiral that is caused by that person's comment, that happens internally. And so when we become capable of no longer playing into these energy projection cycles, we're capable of witnessing that event that takes place And objectively observing, oh, this person called me that. They called me fat or dumb or stupid or uneducated or, wow, that's clearly one for me because I was able to think of three synonyms off the tip of my tongue (laughs) in a split second when it came to intelligence. So that's clearly one for me. And we're capable of then observing that and witnessing how it makes us feel when the person says it. And if we've worked on our unconscious mind and our beliefs and we're in our worth, it won't cause any internal event. However, if we're still believing in some piece of ourselves because of conditioning that we are not worthy, we're not lovable, we're not smart, we're not good looking, we're not enough to be loved as we are, then when somebody says something that touches on that belief that's part of our shadow, so part of a piece of ourselves that we've unintegrated and we try to hide from the world because we feel like if anybody sees it, they're going to see that we're unlovable. And so we hide it away and we try to just pretend it doesn't exist. But then when somebody touches on it, we're like, oh my gosh, somebody outside of me sees it. I'm not doing a good enough job. And our unconscious freaks out and starts to then want to play into the energy projection cycles. And we have to be able to observe it witness it and recognize that that has to do with us and our own work that we have to do in our unconscious belief system and our own conditioning that is keeping us away from our true identity and has us associating with a version of ourselves that is in alignment with what that person is calling us. And we believe that inside of ourselves somewhere, which is why the trigger creates an internal event. And when we can do that and we have the tools available to us to not only observe that 
and not react by continuing or perpetuating that energy projection cycle in that moment and being able to then go away and do our own healing work in order to integrate a new unconscious belief that aligns with our truth rather than aligns with other that other person's version of us, then we continue our expansion and we are able to we are able to transmute this anger, hatred, frustration, hurt that's projected onto us back to love really quickly. And it's not even necessarily a love of the other person as much as a love of ourself and our own worth that we're transmuting back to. So I used to kind of think about this of like, oh, well, transmute it back to love, like put yourself in that person's shoes, have empathy for the other person. And this is a great tactic. It's super beautiful to be able to witness, oh, you know, the reason this person is saying this to me doesn't necessarily have anything to do with me. It's because they're having their own internal experience. I'm a representation of something for them. They're like projecting onto me. I feel empathetic. I feel compassion. I feel my humanity. I feel my humanity for them and their lack of understanding and their lack of ability to connect with me in love and intimacy and vulnerability. They clearly have these walls and these barriers up that keep them from being truly vulnerable. And that's sad for them because it means they're lacking true human connection. And then we can witness that and we can say that, but to take it even further beyond loving the troll themselves and seeing the troll's humanity and witnessing them through the lens of God rather than our own human lens and our own self-identity lens that's associated with all of these attachments, that's one level. And then to also take it even further, we're actually transmuting back to self-love and self-worth by then being able to drop in and say, I love myself enough to witness the piece of me that believes that what that person said to me is true and integrate that shadow back to wholeness and back to authenticity and back to truth. And that's like one step even further that we learn how to take and we get so adept at when we put it into practice. And so that's really the second choice that we have is like transmuting this back to love and transmuting it back to the whole, the whole being our own integral worth, as well as the recognition of their humanity and being able to view them through the lens of God rather than as the, as the thing that's confronting our identity and all of our attachments. And the third thing that we have a choice to do, which was my default for many, many years, which is why I created this fear in the first place, which is why I have this fear that I mentioned earlier in this episode, is we sometimes get so dissociated and so good at hiding our shadow that we become this chameleon, this person who is a hollow shell of the truth of who they are, who's living our life for everyone outside of ourselves benefit. And we become the ultimate people pleaser. And like I said, chameleon, we have these masks that we wear where we're so good at knowing what someone's potential reaction is going to be to us that we try our hardest to not be a trigger for anybody we're overly nice, we're overgiving, we're constantly thinking about other people's opinion rather than our own desires. We worry about how we're showing up because we view ourselves through the lens of judgment of others rather than 
focusing on ourself and the truth of our identity. And we stop even identifying with our authentic self because we become so good at wearing this generalized mask of being the perfect friend, the perfect partner, the perfect wife, the perfect student, the perfect daughter, the perfect son, the perfect whatever it is. And this was me for a long, long time. I used to have the sensation that I mentioned, this sensation of like the drop in the stomach, the anxiety, the panic, when I would just be thinking about day-to-day actions, interactions, and choices that I was making because I would be so focused on if I do this, what is that person's reaction to me going to be? And how do I control the narrative by showing up a specific type of way so that I'm not even triggering to them. And this is where we become these spineless jellyfish who have no boundaries, who are constantly overgiving, who are there pleasing everyone else and putting ourselves and our desires on the back burner time and time and time again. The reason that this manifests is because we are so focused on avoiding confrontation and avoiding conflict that's going to potentially trigger an event inside of ourselves because we don't know how to handle that event and we don't know how to have this gentle observer role and we don't know how to bring ourselves back to self-love and self-worth because our worth is so low, usually because of unresolved trauma and past events that have conditioned us to believe we are unworthy as we are and that our authentic self is so unworthy lovable, that we hide that authentic self from the world at all costs. And because I lived my life like this for so long, I still hold, now that I've learned how to authentically express myself and I've started to acknowledge my desires and I've started to grow and I've started to create and I've started to bring my vision for my dream reality to life, My biggest fear is that I'm going to slip back into this life where I'm living it for other people and I'm going to slip back into this place where I live with the sensation inside of my chest of anxiety and I have to focus on everyone else outside of myself before I can even take myself into consideration. And that's no way to live. (laughs) It's not a life at all, speaking from personal experience. It's a very hollow and empty existence that leads to a complete lack of intimacy and connection because we can be, when we're in this state, we can be completely surrounded by people and feel utterly alone because no one really knows who we are. One of the scariest realizations that I ever had that was also one of the most enlightening and awakening was that in order to experience real true love, people have to know who we really truly are. And in order for them to know who we really truly are so that they can love us for that, we have to show them. We have to be willing to show them. And it's a defense mechanism to never show anyone who we really are. It's a defense mechanism because it's much easier to be rejected for a fragmented version of our truth than it is to be rejected for our truth. And we are binary beings, polarities. I talked about this in my last episode. And part of that polarity and part of that binary existence is the more rejection and hurt 
we're willing to experience, the more space we have for true, unconditional love, for real love. The more intimate and vulnerable and authentic we're willing to be with people, the more we put ourselves on the line to be rejected and to be you know, denied for our truth and to be unaccepted by the circles that we think we desire to be accepted by. And when we go through this rejection process, this realization that we can't fit in to certain groups unless we sever off pieces of who we are and we decide to no longer sever off those pieces of our ourselves because we want to be whole more than anything. And because of our wholeness, because of our bigness, because of our power, we experience rejection from certain places. This is when we are going to go through, yes, some time of unbelonging where we don't fit in anywhere and we don't feel accepted anywhere. And as we step into our authenticity, as we lean into our truth, as we uncover more of who we really are, this is when people start to see who we really are and we start to experience love and acceptance for our truth. And this is utterly liberating. It is the most liberating experience that I've ever had. Not feeling like I'm walking on eggshells, not feeling concerned with other people's opinion of me, not feeling like I'm going to be alone, but knowing in full faith that even if I find myself alone, I will find myself surrounded by the right people and not feel alone when the timing is right because I have not sacrificed the truth of who I am in order to be surrounded by those people. And when you get there, that is so liberating. So that's what my dream taught me today. (laughs) I hope that you found some value and nuggets of wisdom in there. Um, And I'm excited for you to do your own dream work if you haven't already begun to do so. I hope you have an amazing rest of your day wherever you are in the world. And I'll talk to you next week. All right, Intuits, that's all for this week, but I will catch you here on Reclaiming Purpose next week. And if you want more of this type of content, you can go check out the offers on youareintuit.com. The link is in the show notes. And for a chance to win a one-year subscription to all of our workshops and programs, go ahead and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts so that we can enter you into our quarterly draw. I will talk to you guys so soon and have an amazing rest of your day wherever you are in the world.